heat ahead into the heat of the battle. Leaving here today, I desire that we all, as I mentioned earlier, be reminded of the truth that God is sovereign over all nations. Now, either that is true or it is not, and I believe you will find from Isaiah chapter 33 that, in fact, he is. Now, let me give you a, 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 a side note and, a, and an honest admission. I am not certain that Isaiah wrote this prophetically or historically. I thought initially historically, but I believe it was actually penned before the events of the Assyrian takeover of the northern kingdom took place and before uh, the surrounding of Jerusalem. And so it does seem that Isaiah is writing through the lens and the, from the eyes and heart of a prophet. It seems like this was penned in around 730 B.C., and then the Assyrian takeover of the northern kingdom was 722 B.C., some eight years, ten years later, and then the surrounding of Jerusalem sometime after that. If that is, in fact, um, the, uh, the situation, um, then uh, we can make great sense of it. If it was written after the fact, then it simply means that it wasn't foresight, it was hindsight, and he was writing historically. Either way, it's inspired text, and we believe it to be trustworthy. The first thing I'd like us to consider from Isaiah chapter 33 is the consideration or the context and God's sovereign proclamation which he makes verses 1 through 9. Woe to thee that spoilest and thou hast and thou wast not spoiled and dealest treacherously and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end of dealing treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself, the nations were scattered. And your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with justice and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. And strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Behold, their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The wayfaring man ceaseth. He hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. The earth mourneth and, uh, and languisheth. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a plain in Bashan and Carmel. Shake off their fruits. What is meant by consideration is what is revealed through the context of this chapter in the first nine verses. In it, Isaiah declared God's sovereignty over all nations, and specifically in this passage, over the nation and uh, the kingdom of Assyria. Folks, he has absolute rule and, and reign, and he has the right of such throughout all history. Chapter 33 is the last of five woes which are pronounced by 
the prophet. And you'll notice that in verse 1 of chapter 33. It says, Woe unto the one who spoils, and yet you were not spoiled, who dealt treacherously, and yet you were not dealt treacherously with. Woe unto you. And of course, whenever there's a woe in Scripture, it's a pronouncement of doom. And this was upon Assyria for what they had done. This woe is upon Assyria because you'll remember Likely, in the book of 2 Kings, if I'm remembering correctly, Hezekiah tried to cut a deal with Assyria. Don't get us. We'll do this. We'll do the other thing. And Assyria said, okay, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll strike that bargain. And they dealt treacherously and broke that. Well, Hezekiah and the people were looking to the world for peace and safety. And where should we look for peace and safety? In the Lord. The Lord alone. Therefore, being justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. And so we're always to look to him. We're not to look to the world as our source for security. Notice in verse 2, it says, Be thou their arm, the people of Judah, crying out to God for strength in their time of despair. Notice in chapter 28, if you would, and verse 1, continuing with the context, chapter 28 and verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Israel, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. No, there is the first woe pronounced right there. Verse 29, woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt, a, a, a synonym for Jerusalem. Look at chapter 29 and verse 15. Woe unto those who seek deeply to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, saying, who sees us and who knows us? There's another woe in chapter 30 and verse 1, woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me. They are going everywhere but to me for their counsel. There's the fourth woe, or the, th- the third woe. Look at uh, chapter 31 and verse 1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. And so we see that Judah, the southern kingdom, is going everywhere, running around Jerusalem, headed up by Hezekiah at that time, King Hezekiah, looking for help from Egypt, looking for help here and there. What kind of resources do we have? How can we mount up a defense against the empire of Assyria? Well, in fact, they couldn't. And the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes, learned that in 722, 721 B.C. as Assyria swamped over them and basically, uh, not basically, literally uh, took them captive. We'll notice in verses 3 and 4 back in our chapter of 33, The prophet saw that when God acted, the pagans fled and they left their spoils. Notice what the prophet said. He said, at the noise of the tumult, the people fled. The lifting up of thyself, the nations were scattered. God, all you need do is just show up on the scene and things are going to start happening. And in fact, they should have known that from the very get-go. Verses 5 and 6. Notice. The, the near and the distant fulfillment. When the Lord is lifted high in our hearts, righteousness, salvation, wisdom will be present when, um, and, and then ultimately, that will ultimately be fulfilled when the Lord returns. If you'll notice in verses 5 and 6, when the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high, he hath filled Zion with justice, with righteousness, wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability. We see the distant 
fulfillment. And then verses 7 and 9, uh, the prophet is dealing more with what was happening there. 701, Assyria surrounded Jerusalem, and the people were hopeless and helpless. Notice in verse 7, it says, Behold, their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace shall weep. In other words, our soldiers aren't going to help us. Our ambassadors cutting a deal with Assyria, they're not going to be able to help us. Nothing will be able to help us until finally they recognized, even when all travel and trade has ceased, in verse 8, agriculture has been ruined, they turn to the only one who can, and that is the Lord himself. Now, folks, there is a mess. That's the context. That's the the proclamation that Isaiah made to the people of Judah 2,700 years ago. But it is as current as today's situations that we face. So whatever the Assyria is, which is coming your way by application, disease, heartache, uh, divorce, uh, rebellious children, grandchildren, a nation invading us, whatever it might be that you're going to face, that I'm going to face, as children of God, we have been commanded to fret not. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. For if you do, and you're wringing your hands, and you run to Egypt, and you run to this, and you run up like Hezekiah did, although he was a godly king, by the way, and you are godly folks in Christ, yet fear can overcome you in a moment, can't it? The temptation is there. Dread and stress and anxiety and problems and worry and all the rest will try to visit you and tear you down and bring you down so that you're cutting a deal with everything, maybe even trying to cut a deal with God. Lord, I have not been serving you as I I ought to. I know that. And if you'll just get me out of this fix, if you'll just let my sowing not be fruitful, you have ears to hear, let him hear. If you'll just let this cancer go away, if you'll just give me a raise at my job, then I will say, God's not cutting any deals. <laughs> Amen? He doesn't have to. He's sovereign over all nations. And by the way, nations are made up of people. So he's sovereign over everyone. You say, he even has control of the things going on in the evil lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. Evil and unrighteousness and righteousness run side by side. Always has since the Garden of Eden. Cain and Abel were right there. Righteousness and unrighteousness side by side. And it's been that way ever since. So he is aware of all that is going on. And he is not in the business of cutting deals. The only deal, the only, the only bargain that comes to my mind, which God brokered, and he says, I want to broker this, is he sent the son, eternal son of his love to pay your way. And he said, I'll do that unconditionally. And, and it's even, it even doesn't set well with me when I, when I even use the, uh, uh, the uh, familiar term cutting a deal. He had a plan. He ordained a plan that you would be given eternal life through nothing that you deserved or did. And the same with me, those of us who know him. So, the, the, the proclamation of God's sovereign rule. And then we see the condemnation, verses 10. Uh, I'm sorry, did I not? Did I already have that up there? 
No, I didn't. I'm out of order here. Stay with me a second. Well, I don't know what I did with that. Okay, point number B. Is B up there the, uh, the, uh, the condemnation, God's sovereign retribution? Is that on the screen? There we go. I don't know where I put that in the order. Sorry. My bad. I'll fall on the sword. I'd blame it on uh, Chauncey, but, I'll... but they know what goes into my... Uh... It's kind of like husbands. You never complain about the food. She knows what goes into it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and preachers ought not complain about the, the, the IT huh? because they know more than he does. And in our case, much more. Secondly, verses 10 through 21, the condemnation, God's sovereign retrib- retribution. Look at verse 10, if you would. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. You shall conceive chaff. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath like fire shall devour you. And the people shall be like the burnings of lime, like thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. Hear ye that are far off what I have done. And ye that are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions and that restraineth his hands from holding of bribes, that stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he shall dwell on high. His place on defense shall be the strongholds of rocks. Bread shall be given on him. His water shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Thine heart shall meditate terror. Where is the scribe? Where is the receiver? Where is he that counteth the towers? Thou shalt not see a fierce people, a people of the deeper speech than thou canst perceive, and of a stammering tongue tongue that thou canst not understand. Look upon Zion, the city of our uh, uh, solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of its stakes shall ever be removed, neither shall any of its cords be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, uh, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. A difficult passage. Let me offer that... uh, God in his all wise, is all wise in his actions, and he is just in raising up an entity, namely Assyria, to terrorize his people so that they'll ultimately turn to the Lord, which they did, and then disciplining the very agency he raised up. God can do that. He's the potter. People are the clay. And he can fashion one lump of clay unto honor and another lump of clay unto dishonor if he chooses. Folks, as independent Americans in the 21st century, we must get back to, if you haven't already gotten there, if you're not already there, we must get back to the theology, he rules in the kingdom of men. Nebuchadnezzar came to learn that in the book of Daniel. And we would be mindful to learn it or relearn it in our day. He is the boss. He is in charge. And he will bring retribution upon 
those he will choose to do so. And we see that in Romans 9. Speaking of Egypt in this case, uh, speaking of, of um, um, let the text speak for itself. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. For the scripture saith, uh, Egypt, unto Pharaoh, even for this same person, a purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardens. And so God's retribution fell on Assyria. How, how did it fall on Assyria? Well, by a little neighbor called Babylon. And so the Assyrian Empire was overthrown by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And so God used yet another foreign power, a pagan nation, a pagan empire, to overthrow the first one. Now notice in verse 10, if you would, in our text, God allowed the northern kingdom of Israel to fall to Assyria, but just before Jerusalem and the southern kingdom fell, God stood up and went to the rescue. Notice in verse 10, it says, now I will rise. Well, when is the now? When the people said, what are we doing? We can't get help from all of these other entities. We can only look to the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation where only God can address whatever that situation is? Well, either you will run and chase after all kinds of other answers, or you will turn wholeheartedly to the Lord. That's not to say you shouldn't have chemotherapy. That's not to say you shouldn't have a, a, a per, pursue a job advancement or something along that line. Of course we're to do the things which uh, lend themselves to wise stewardship, but ultimately... Look at the coin in your pocket. Look at the dollar bill in your, your billfold. In God we trust. That's either just a saying and a motto, or that's reality. For me, it's reality. Amen? Amen. In God we trust, because he is sovereign over all nations. And I am trusting in him. I am not trusting in the good old U.S. of A. Not ultimately, and not even very much. John Oswald wrote on this thought, human failure is divine opportunity those who are consumed by their own plans are always taken unaware by God's work they weren't looking for him initially they weren't even thinking about that they were running after all kinds of other solutions folks America will be judged by God if in fact we're not already being judged but believers are not condemned which is why Scripture says we are in the world. We have our dealings in the world. But we're not of the world. We're not of the world system. We're not indifferent. We are looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. Amen? And so we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Notice in verses 11 through 14. The enemies of the Lord will be consumed in a moment. He he, uh, he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That's what that song was about just a, a, a moment ago. It had very much that in mind, that God is coming to judge this world. But across the sea, there was one who came who died so that we might live. Let's give that message to an evil, to a corrupt nation. 
Scripture tells us, and we're warned in Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So one day, the sovereignty of God over all nations will be made manifest. Notice in verse 17, it says, Those who, who know him and are looking for him, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. And verse 22 is really the pivot point in this entire chapter when it says, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. It gives, segues nicely, I think, into the third point, the consolation, the comfort that we can receive and Judah could receive in this passage, namely, God's sovereign jurisdiction. He is the judge. He is the one who decides um, what is going to take place. Like America today, there were God-fearing believers in Judah in that day who professed to know God, yet often their works denied that. Folks, let's not be that one. Let's not be that, those folks who entertain answers from the world as our philosophy, as our guiding uh, path, but instead let's look to the Lord and His Word alone for all that we need. Before becoming this nation's fourth president, James Madison at the Constitutional Convention in 1787 proposed the plan to divide the United States federal government into three branches. And it is reported that he got that model from verse 22. Our, and it's, it's almost certain that this is the case, that James Madison introduced to be affirmed at the Constitutional, the ratification of the Constitutional Convention in 1787 in our First Lady's hometown, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, that our government would have three branches and that it's from, taken from, verse 22 of this chapter because verse 22 presents the perfect ruler. And what does verse 22 say. If you'll notice, for the Lord is our judge. He's our judge. What does a judge do? Interprets laws and makes rulings. And the Lord himself is the only one who can do that ultimately because he's the only one with infinite insight into what is right, just, what is good. He is our judge. Notice also in verse 22, he's our legislator. Notice it says he's our judge he is our lawgiver. The leg a legislator writes the law. The Lord himself is the only one who can prescribe eternal law. He's the only one who can prescribe moral law. And folks, when the Word of God makes a, a, a declaration, a, a declaratory statement, such as, he created them male and female, uh, he said, let a man leave his family and be, and be joined unto his wife. When it says that, and Jesus affirmed that in the New Testament, that 
ought to be the end of the discussion. And for thousands of years, it was. But we're enlightened. We've progressed. We know better. In other words, we are now looking at all the other answers the world will offer, all the other solutions, and the nation which does that is bound to rule, uh, to, to be in ruin. Uh, righteousness exalts a nation. Say the rest of it with me. But sin is a reproach to any people, for he is sovereign over all the nations. And so, he is our lawgiver. In fact, James 4.12, in case you're wondering the interpretation, tells us that very thing. There is one lawgiver who is able to save, to destroy. God alone is, is the only one who can write, write down, prescribe moral law. And then notice also in verse 22, he is our king. God is not only sovereign over all judgments, over all moral law, he is also the king who executes blessing and punishment. So as the king, he's the protector. He will save us. Scripture is clear on that as well. Psalm 89, 18. For the Lord is our defense. The Holy One of Israel is our king. And 1 Timothy 6, 15 describes the Lord Jesus as the blessed and only potentate. The potentate does not live in a walled city in Rome. He doesn't live there. The potentate is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And him alone are we to preach as the king, the king of truly all the universe. He is sovereign over all nations. And then finally, verses 23 and 24, if we could read that, we see the, the, the consummation, God's sovereign resolution in this text. Verse 23, thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey, and the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquities. These verses, though difficult to interpret, it seems like verse 23 is saying, toward Assyria, that is, a ship is blown off course in a storm, they're helpless to the degree that the lame will be able to carry the spoil off of them. The lame, uh, the disabled will be able to conquer them because they are so off course. Now, how did a nation, an empire, get blown off course? Because of God's retribution. He is sovereign over all the nations. And if God sovereignly chose to raise up America at the very time of the modern missions movement in the history of the world, roughly that same time frame, the last couple hundred years or so, and send out and fund and finance more church planning evangelistic missions everywhere in the whole world. If he sovereignly said, I'm going to raise up this nation for that purpose, and if that nation turns its back on me, and spits in my face and says life is not life and morality is not morality uh, and, and situation ethics rule the day. In God's sovereignty, does he have the right to judge? Absolutely a million times, yes, he does. Just as he did Assyria. 
So what is the ultimate consummation, the final word on this? Well, relative to Israel, which is what we're, this is addressing as the prophets do, Romans eleven twenty six says, and so, one day, coming up, how do we know this is future? Well, the, the grammar, shall be, that's future tense, but all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Paul quoting this very same prophet, Isaiah 59, 20. Now I ask you, has all Israel come to faith in Messiah? No, of course not. And it's future tense then, when it was written in the middle of the first century to the church at Rome, and it's still future tense to us. But if anything is certain, what God says will come to pass, will come to pass. Now I've given you the interpretation within the context. I believe it's accurate. How does it apply to us today? The spiritual truth that we can understand from this text is that the world, Assyria, cannot do anything for us which hasn't already been passed through the office of our judge, our senator, and our king. He's aware. He's sovereign over all. And since we know that, and since we know also the world, led by the enemy, seeks to kill, destroy, to steal, to kill, and to destroy, John 10.10. 10. And we know that he has come to give us life, and that more abundantly. It only is your reasonable conclusion in mine that I'm to look to him alone. I'm to serve him faithfully. For he is faithful and will honor his promises that my life will be so good in standing for him and not for the world. You know, even thinking of this, and I'm done, 38 years ago, this coming December 20th, my, my brother Andrew is, is here, my sister Melody is here. Melody and I were not in the car wreck which uh, took the lives of uh, my dad, brother, and sister at the hands of a derelict, a man whose blood alcohol was three times the normal limit. Not the normal limit, the legal limit. There's not a normal limit. It's all abnormal. But that's another sermon. And yet, uh, and Andrew, thankfully, was not taken but left to continue to live for the Lord these nearly 40 years, uh, though he was in a body cast from his armpits to his ankles for six months. Why does this go on? And we weren't guilty about anything, of anything, and they weren't. Why? Does the rain fall on the just and the unjust? Because he is sovereign over all. And folks, the bottom line is this, and I take great comfort in this. My first wife was dying, and, and, the, and the losses I've experienced in life, uh, and I had a one-year-old who was at the point of death and took to Mayo Clinic, God, would you use medicine? Why does the rain fall on not only the unjust, but the just. Why do the storm clouds come over your life and my life? Because he is sovereign. And here's the answer. 
He knows best, even when I'm clueless. And you know what? If I was clued in on everything that God determined, guess who I'd be? <laughs> I'd be the Lord. And, of course, he's not going to share his glory with another. So what is the, what's the message for us? Trust him. He's all wise. He's all good. We'll understand it better by and by. In the meantime, you cannot do any better than resting in him. I mean, fully saying, God, I know that you know I'm diagnosed with cancer. I know that you know my heart is heavy because of my loved one uh, passing, going home to be with you. I know that you know that I am battling anger because of what my spouse said or did. And, and just you fill in the blank of whatever it is, whatever that thorn is that you're, you've settled in on, and it is poking you every moment of every day. You can know that God knows this. And as his child, he cares about you infinitely in the course of that anguish. Amen? Or he doesn't. <laughs> if you conclude that, you'll, you'll go down one path. But if you conclude and believe the other, then you only have one response. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Say it with me. Lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. And, wow, very good. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. All of your ways. Acknowledge his lordship is what it means. You're sovereign, God. And you'll direct my steps because I'm looking to you as my sovereign ruler. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word, the truth of it. And it's amazing, we believe it, but Assyria was dealt with treacherously. And Israel Judah are now one nation, a sovereign nation, in unbelief. But yet you've put those flesh back on those dry bones. The fig tree is budding. Certainly your Return is near. Find us faithful.